In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. In the year 284, a soldier named Gaius Aurelius Valerius Diocletianus entered history. Through force of arms, he came to power over the whole of Rome. Gaius Aurelius Valerius Diocletianus. I mean, that's a mouthful of a name. But he would come to be known as the Emperor Diocletian. And in February of 303, he began a campaign to wipe out the church, to destroy as much of the church as he could. So for years, for 10 years, he hunted Christians. He would imprison those that that would not offer sacrifices to the Roman gods, or because he was thought of as a god, if they wouldn't offer sacrifices to the emperor himself. He burned scriptures, he destroyed books, he destroyed church buildings. By the end of what would become the Diocletian persecution ten years later, by the end of it, between 3,000 and 5,000 Christians were dead, tortured on the rack, at the scourge, or in the flames. But his plan backfired. The second, church, uh, second century church father, Tertullian, said that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And almost immediately after the Diocletian persecution stopped, the church began to grow. And as it grew to different places and uh, different people, they remembered those who had been martyred at the hands of the emperor. The church celebrated them, and their numbers were so great, there were so many of them, thousands, that they couldn't assign a day to each particular one of these people that they were calling saints. So in the ninth century, the church in the West set aside one common day for all. November the 1st, All Saints Day is that day. It is, All Saints is one of seven principal feasts of the church. You notice I have my lace on today because more lace, more grace. And it is a feast of the first rank to celebrate all of the saints, all those who have gone before us, known and unknown, and live lives of conspicuous grace, lives shot through with grace. As we read today, they were persecuted for righteousness' sake and now they are before the throne of God. That is what that, this feast is all about. Well, today is also, lucky for you, the beginning of our 30 days of generosity and gratitude. 30 days of a season of stewardship at St. Bartholomew's. So uh, later this week, uh, you'll get an email um, with our 2021 stewardship brochure that I'm really grateful to the uh, wonderful stewardship team for putting together. And for my part, to introduce this time, I want to try to connect those two themes, saints and stewardship, and do it by looking at three things. First, the summons to be saints. Secondly, the shape of the saint. And then finally, from sainthood 
to stewardship. The summons to be saints, the shape of the saints, and from sainthood to stewardship. First of all, the summons. Leon Bloy, the French novelist, said that the only real sadness, the only real failure, the only great tragedy is not to become a saint. Because that is the life that we are invited into. That is God's summons to us. St. Paul, when he was writing the first letter to uh, the Corinthians, he addressed it to the, uh, the, you who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, hagioi. And the saint, the saint is just someone who wills what God wills, someone that, that wants to become fully and completely what God has created him or her to be. So today's gospel Father Charlie read the Sermon on the Mount, the, the Beatitudes. And it, it, there are actually two equal and opposite errors, I think, that we can commit with the, the Beatitudes. First of all, when we read the words of Jesus, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek, the first error that we can commit is to read it as a spiritual to-do list. That this is what the good Christians do. And if I want God to love me, then I need to do all of these things. There's a guy named Ronnie McBrayer, who is a, a pastor and an author. And in a book called How Far Is Heaven, he tried to debunk this myth of the first error. He said the Beatitudes are no spiritual to-do list to be attempted by eager, rule-keeping Disciples. So it's not, a, it's not a checklist that we have to complete in order for God to love us. But there is an equal and opposite error that we can commit. And so McBrayer says, it's not a spiritual to-do list. It is a spiritual done list of the qualities God brings to bear in the people who follow Jesus. The Beatitudes do not make God love us, but because God loves us, He brings to bear in the lives of His people the qualities in the Beatitudes. He makes us meek and merciful and pure in heart because therein lies true blessedness, makarios, happiness, true blessedness. So if it's an error to think, that they're a checklist for good Christians, then the opposite error is to think that we need never grow in these at all. We need never show them, demonstrate them in our lives because God wants you to, and in fact, you can. Peter Kreeft is a uh, philosophy professor at um, Boston College, and he wrote this. He said, you can become a saint. Absolutely no one and nothing can stop you. It is your free choice. Here's one of the truest and most terrifying sentences I have ever read from William Law's serious call. If you will look into your own heart in complete honesty, you must admit that there is one and only one reason why you are not a saint. You do not wholly want to be. 
That insight is terrifying because it's an indictment, but it is also thrillingly hopeful because it is an offer, an open door. Each of us can become a saint. We really can. Becoming a saint is not just for spiritual superheroes. Robert Barron says that becoming a saint is the ordinary goal of the Christian life. The ordinary goal of the Christian life. To grow in the qualities of the Beatitudes. That's point one. That's the summons to become a saint. But point two, the shape of the saint. From our reading from Revelation 7. I, John, looked and there was a great multitude no one could count standing before the throne and before the Lamb robed in white. They cried out in a loud voice, fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God singing, Amen. Amen. That word, it's, it's, a, it's a Hebrew word. It shows up in the Bible some 30 times. Uh, but do you really know what it means? It, it means something like truly or surely, or as the way that I usually translate it in my mind is, so let it be. So let it be. So if God summons us to sainthood, then the saints are those who say, Amen. So let it be to that call. That's the shape of their life. So Jesus, when somebody asked him, what was the most important commandment? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. The second is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. Two keys to life. That's it. Love God and love people. That is the shape of the life that we're called to. And the saints say, Amen. Let it be so in my life. And they become exemplars of people who live that, that sort of life. So here's what one priest said. We should not neglect saints. We need them if we want to learn what it means to be a Christian. We need flesh and blood examples of what it means to be a follower of Jesus in this strange world we live in. Thanks to the saints, we have 2,000 years of lived commentary on Jesus' summary of the law and the prophets. Their amen shows us the shape of a blessed life, the shape of a saint. One last point. Look at the summons to sainthood and the shape of the saint, but how do we get from sainthood to stewardship? I mean, the stewardship is when the, the stewardship sermon is when the priests ask you for money, right? So when am I going to do that? Well, right now. So back at the beginning of the pandemic, months ago, uh, I was uh, looking for some way to make sense of the shape of the world. And uh, one of my go-to guys is always N.T. Wright. He's a former bishop of Durham uh, in England, the, uh, one of the world's foremost New Testament scholars, prolific author. I have books in his office that still have the plastic on them from five years ago because I haven't had time to read them. And so his was one of the first voices that I sought out. And I found, first of all, an article that he'd written in Time magazine. Then he expanded it uh, to become a small book called God and the Pandemic. And as usual, Bishop Wright anticipated the question that I was bringing to his writings. The question was already inside of it which is, why does God not stop this? 
He said, so often when people look out on the world and its disasters, they wonder why God doesn't just march in and take over. Why doesn't he send a thunderbolt and put things right? And then his answer that he gave just blew me away. Bishop Wright says God does send thunderbolts, human ones. He sends in the poor in spirit, the meek, the mourners, the peacemakers, the hungry for justice people, the saints. They are the way God wants to act in the world. And that was the beginning of this idea that became the bark of St. Bartholomew, this vision for how God might remake us in the coming year through our worship and formation and in a community so that he can send us like thunderbolts into the world with the gospel, the good news, and to serve the poor. And my job this stewardship season is to invite you to invest in that mission, in the mission of St. Bartholomew's for 2021. And that mission is for us to become saints together. To be a band of people who say, Amen, let it be to God's summons to us. To become a bunch of thunderbolts. So could it be that a life of worship and formation and evangelism and service and community together, could it be that God might use that to make us meek? To make us hunger and thirst for righteousness, to be merciful, to be pure of heart and will one thing, to be peacemakers, and might that not make us blessed? Invest in that. Join this journey with us. Let God make us saints for the world. That's your invitation. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.